Welcome back to Mary Kate's podcast. I am Mary Kate, and this is my podcast. I'm here today with Regina Donahue. Regina and I, um, Regina is another friend that I have connected with via Instagram, and I'm so excited to not not just Regina to talk with you, but also like to hear some of the parts of your story that I haven't heard. I think that this is going to be really, really fruitful. So, um, just to give a little bit of background, um, I announced recently on uh, Instagram and a couple of other plant platforms that I just started a new organization called Femine Vero, and it's focused on education and advocacy for honest, authentic women's health care through a Catholic lens. Um, and so Regina had reached out to me and we had been connected via Instagram before we had had, I think different, we have like different messages about different things on Instagram uh, prior to this one conversation, but we had a long phone call and we just like totally connected and hit it off on all things women's health care. Um, so Regina's background and Regina, feel free to jump in at any point. Um, she is on the collaborative board for modern fertility care, um, which is a foundation in Pittsburgh seeking to set women up with the medical care that they desire. She works closely with renew the I do, and she is from Pittsburgh. She works with a lot of nonprofits in the Pittsburgh area. And she's also just a Catholic mom who deeply cares about this whole space, um, fertility awareness and connecting Catholic couples with um, authentic, honest fertility options, uh, just d- d- all of these different, all of these different topics within the realm of women's healthcare. So Regina, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited for us to talk. And if you wouldn't mind, I would love to just hear from your own perspective, you know, share a little bit of your own story coming to the women's healthcare space, why you're passionate about all of this, um, as, uh, not just a mom, but a Catholic mom as well. Well, Mary Kate, I'm so happy to be here. And um, my name is Regina. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I'm a mom of five kids. I'm expecting number six um, in July. Mm. Yeah. And we're very excited about that. That's what I do primarily with my time is that I am home with my children. Um, On the side, I do work with some nonprofits, uh, mainly Renew the I Do and a new one called Modern Fertility Care. And my history and kind of story of why I love the fertility awareness space is long <laughs> as, as most of our stories are. Yeah. So I will be 35 next month. So I kind of come from the generation that whenever you first went to the gynecologist, the first thing that happened was you were put on birth control. Um, most of my friends have that experience. I am really grateful and lucky enough to have not had that experience. I grew up Catholic. My mom um, has a long history of fertility awareness, um, kind of education and suffering. She had nine miscarriages actually, Mm. before she carried my brother to term. Probably what she needed was a little bit of progesterone, but she suffered nine in a row, Mm. then had my brother, my sister, and another brother who passed away of cancer at two. So what happened at that point is really when she kind of started to understand the need to listen to her own body. Mm -hmm. And she was told during her grief that the right thing for her to do for her health and for the children that she had was to have her tubes tied because there was no possible way after having nine miscarriages and um, have a child that died that she could carry another baby safely. Mm -hmm. So she 
did. And then she knew in her heart that it was not the right decision. And she said, I, I need to get this reversed. Mm-hmm. And she didn't even care. I mean, she wanted more children after she got out of that haze of grief, but that wasn't her motivation really. Yeah. It was really that I just don't want to have that totally closed off. Yeah. So she was the first person at McGee Women's Hospital in Pittsburgh to have that reversed. Wow. It was the first baby to be born from a fallopian tube reversal, which is kind of like wow. really that yes. I have like such this heart for women's healthcare and um, a real like desire to proclaim that life begins at conception. And my mom worked so yes. hard for me. And I really do believe that it comes from that. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So it, it is kind of an amazing story. Like it's, yeah, it's, it is amazing. Wow. That's beautiful. Thanks so for sharing that. Life, oh, sure. Yeah. In my own life, I, I studied politics and philosophy at Duquesne university. And I just started to have questions on feminism and why yeah. are we told at such a young age that we have to rely on birth control in order to be empowered women? Why are we told that we have to kill our own children in order to be empowered women? Like, why can't we have both of these things together? Why can't we be empowered and fertile? Why is fertility viewed as such a threat? And these are questions that I would ask in thesis papers and just in college. And um, I didn't get a lot of great answers, but I was just like looking for those answers. Yeah. I went on um, to teach for a year at a Catholic girls high school. And what I found there was a lot of pain and suffering and a lot of problems in the teenage population. I started to realize in my own life that I didn't have the therapeutic skills to kind of answer their questions. So I went on to earn a master's in clinical psychology. And at the same time, I was receiving calls at a um, pregnancy resource center for women that were searching for abortion or searching for resources. So it just kind of started to say, why is there such a disconnect mm-hmm. with, with women not being able to really find what they need? And we have yep. the best country in the world with the most resources in the world. Yep. And yet so many women can't find what they need. Mm-hmm. So many of my friends couldn't figure out what ovulation was or that they weren't fertile all the time. I had um, early in my marriage, I had a miscarriage and I had a friend say, to me, who was an Ivy League graduate, say, oh, well, does that mean if you have to like take a few months break from getting pregnant for, you know, safety after a miscarriage, Mm -hmm. um, does that mean you can't be with your husband sexually for those, that amount of time? And I just thought, wow, this is really sad that Mm -hmm. we have really no understanding of what ovulation is, how short it is in each month and what, what the power of the female cycle actually is. Yeah. So, um, I just continued to kind of like, okay, I'm done. That's then. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. That was, that was amazing. Um, gosh, thank you. I had no idea that. Wow. That's incredible. So I, sorry. I prayed through no, that. Okay. Morning. I like thought about that story and I was like, yeah. I'm glad to share that. So. Thank you. I'm so glad that you shared that. That's incredible. So I mean, when we had talked initially, one of the things that really stayed with me that I think was kind of the, the seed for the topic of this conversation was that, um, and and you, you just mentioned it, that your generation, you're, I mean, you're only a couple years older than me, but your generation has had this experience of going into the gynecologist for the first time and being put on the pill for one reason or another. And now years later, or, you know, I think for a lot of women, like 
a decade or so later, um, they try to get pregnant and find out that now they're struggling because they have been on artificial hormonal birth control for X amount of time. And that's done some damage. So I'm just curious if you have insight you can share on like, what can you, can you talk about that experience a little bit? You know, what have you heard from other women who have been through this and what did that look like for you hearing some of these stories and realizing that praise God, this was not my experience, but also we have to do more to educate women on what this actually looks like. Yeah. So my, I said, I'm 35. So that is actually technically, um, geriatric when you think of fertility Mm -hmm. and think of getting pregnant. So what I'm seeing among my age group is that we're just kind of now waking up. We're waking up to, oh man, like, did I really make the right decision getting on birth control? And I do want to say that I understand why women go on birth control. They go to their doctors who are this authority for them. Mm -hmm. And the doctor's protocol is, oh, well, the best thing to do is to take this pill. And it's kind of seen as this magic cure-all to sexual freedom, to health, to everything. And so they're going on it before they really have a chance to understand their body. And that is kind of like the first, the first issue that I find is that young girls are told very young that they're defective in their natural state. And and we kind of like, we internalize that, like my, um, in, in psychology, that is part of just the messaging. We internalize the messages that we don't actually hear in words, but that we're experiencing through action. So a doctor says, you need this pill. Well, it's like, well, what's wrong with me mm-hmm. that I, that I need this. So, um, I was really lucky to be able to get married and be in a position where we were open to life right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was having babies 10 years earlier than most of my friends from high school and college. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I'm noticing now is is how many women are struggling to get pregnant. And there's no um, published link Mm -hmm. from, from birth control to infertility. But what we do know about the way that the pill works is that that it suppresses the symptoms of other underlying conditions Mm -hmm. that indicate that there is some issue with fertility. So things like endometriosis, things like PCOS, things that are very common. And there's a list of a myriad of other conditions that women Mm -hmm. are struggling with um, that birth control just suppresses those symptoms. So we're not realizing that a 25 year old or even a 15 year old is struggling with those things. And the doctor can't get to the, to the root underlying cause of those things because she's not tracking her cycle. And if a woman is tracking her cycle or even a teenager is tracking her cycle, you can see, oh, okay. So that's, that's the issue. And I'm I'm not a doctor, so I can't tell you like the actual reasons why, but um, that is kind of what's happening. So although we don't have a published research link that says birth control causes infertility, like that's never going to be written. Yeah. Never going to be written. We can say the birth control suppresses the symptoms Mm -hmm. of things that do cause infertility. And so when you are ready to have a baby and you kind of go off of birth control and you are trying to regulate your cycle and it doesn't get regulated. And then you realize 
I'm not even ovulating. Why am I not ovulating? You haven't been ovulating for maybe 20 years at that mm-hmm. point. And it's a really hard thing to catch up on. Yeah. Um, there's this other thing that doctors really, we have to ask the question, are they really trained to deal with women not on birth control? And I'm not sure if that is even happening. Um, I would say, yeah. no, it's not happening. Um, totally. I don't think that they want to feel that way or like yeah. not have that training, but the protocol is most women are on birth control. I think the stat is like 95% of women use birth control at one point. So, I mean, that's, that's most of us. We're kind of an anomaly if we choose not to use it. And I always kind of felt like that in my twenties when I was having mm-hmm. all these, that I was this anomaly. Mm-hmm. Do you, that's interesting. So not that I want to speculate, but I'm just curious, why do you think that is that there will never be a study published on the connections between, I mean, is there a reason for that between birth control and infertility or is it like political? Is it, you know, just because birth control is evil? <laughs> I mean, you know, not to, you know, I mean, what do you, what are your thoughts about that? So I can't understand that without actually having my spirituality in part a reason that totally. you know, there are forces of good and evil that kind right. of direct these things. And what birth control does is silence the natural functions of a woman. And it um, diminishes our ability to express our feminine genius to the world. Mm-hmm. So I think that there are some forces there that are going to work very hard to make that not be clear. Um, I also, I think pharmaceutical companies are really powerful and they don't want that study out. And we know that those things work politically. I think it's starting to come out. There's a lot of great non-religious studies, very physiological, very um, concentrating on the endocrine system Mm -hmm. um, of a woman that are coming out and saying, hey, we really need to look at these things again with birth control. We really need to question what this is doing to a large percentage of us as women. Um, I think, I hope that we can begin to have those conversations more honestly, but we know, I mean, there's a lot of layers of political, um, political conversations, political language, and a lot of money involved. So it's kind of hard to get the funding to, to research that. Yeah. The, it makes me think of in the pro-life movement, what, what I have pointed back to before that just in the same way that it's hard to find studies that actually point to, you know, the, the downsides of birth control and how that actually hurts women. It's also hard to find studies that, um, or, well, they're virtually non-existent to your point, um, that can make the connections between abortion and harming women. Um, and I think it it is interesting. It, It is political, at least from the perspective of the abortion issue, I see this being political because, um, you know, like our healthcare system is designed in such a way that they don't actually ask those questions about, um, you know, they don't track whether or not a woman has had an abortion and that doesn't necessarily go hand in hand with her medical history all the time. Um, it's maybe a question they ask, but so with birth control, it's in my head, it's, it's almost the same thing. Um, and because of HIPAA, we can't track, like, we can't look at the women across the country who are, you know, on birth control and also experiencing this issue. I mean, I think one of the only studies that they've ever done, um, that we can actually make solid connections between abortion and like substance abuse or rate the suicide rate or anything like that was done in, 
I think it was like Sweden because they have socialized healthcare. So they're able to say, they're able to look at everything across the board and say like, these are the connections that we have, but because of HIPAA, which this is the way I understand it, I could be wrong, but because of HIPAA, they can't do that in the U S. So it's just kind of all over the place. And, you know, again, to your point, I think that there are schools and professionals, medical professionals who would be doing these studies, but are uninterested in, in the risk that comes with challenging the status quo on the pill and a lot of these other things, um, which is really, really, uh, disturbing to me. Another thought I have as well, and it goes back to the spiritual issue. Um, and I'd like to talk about this a little bit more. I feel like my mom did a really great job of educating my sisters and I, um, and I think a lot of that just came from like the very basic conversation she had with us when we, when our periods started of like, she basically sat down with us and had the sex talk with us, but it wasn't really a sex talk in the way that secular culture describes that it was more like, this is what sex is. And I want to be very clear that you only have sex with your husband. And that like spoke something very specific, I think into me. Um, but so going into, you know, high school and college, I had this like natural voice inside of me that I now recognize as being, I believe the Holy spirit that was guiding a lot of what I was hearing and how I was responding to it. And I remember um, two friends in particular that I had one was on and off of birth control all through college because she was sexually active. And I think there was some like Catholic guilt there um, that she wasn't super engaged in the faith, but she went, you know, went to Catholic schools growing up, knew that it was wrong, was one of eight kids. And so she was on and off birth control pretty consistently with when she was in a relationship. Um, and then I had another friend who I remember when we were seniors in high school came to um, my friend and I, the other friend who was also always on birth control um, on and off and told us that she found out that she had ovarian cysts and that she might never be able to have children and that the doctor had put her on birth control as like treatment. And I remember both of those scenarios in my heart, like feeling like this is not right. Like that's not the right way to respond to what is happening here and to what we're experiencing here. So to your point, there's, there's a very real spiritual aspect at play. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit. I'd like to go in the direction with this conversation of what, what should we as Catholics, how should we be approaching these issues? You know, what should the church be doing and have we neglected this conversation? Has this conversation about women's health and how we treat women as dignified human beings within our healthcare system, like, have we done what needs to be done to ensure that women are being treated correctly? Um, and I mean, treated both in the sense of like how we treat other human beings, but also treated in like the healthcare sense. I just love your story. I feel like we had a similar high school. Yeah. Experience. yeah. It sounds like we did. Yeah. It sounds wow. like we did. The Holy Spirit was just so um, present in all of yeah. it. Um, so, you know, I could go into all of my conspiracy theories on why I think these things have not yeah. yet, but yeah. I don't want to do that because I think that we just have at hand in this present moment, a tremendous mm -hmm. opportunity to shift the conversation to where it needs to be. And we're yeah. at this moment right now. It is so beautiful that the science has finally caught up mm -hmm. with what the theology has always taught us. Totally. The theology has always proclaimed. Um, and now we have real studies that we can point to that are mm -hmm. showing this mm -hmm. um, and to, to kind of reassert what the feminine genius means and how 
Um, I, and I've said this to you before, like how with our cycles and our periods, like every single month, mm -hmm. a woman proclaims the image, even if silently of life, death, and resurrection at every yeah. single 30 days. I love that. We have that in our bodies and we give that to the world um, and how beautiful that really is. And I think that as the church, I think it's the women of the church as we continue to proclaim who we are mm -hmm. and we continue to share that with the world. And I think, I think we're seeing that in some ways mm -hmm. that we haven't before we're seeing, totally. we're seeing moms of eight kids publish books. Like at, at, at the time, like I, I can't believe how many people on Instagram, like have eight kids and then also wrote three books. I'm like, this is incredible. <laughs> so true. It's so true. Yeah. He's in dreams, this whole Leah Darrow movement, like we can mm. do this. And, and I think a lot of women are doing it and we've figured out that there's no reason to say no to our fertility um, or our career dreams there. Mm -hmm. we, we can have both of those things. Yeah. Um, if we're called to have both of those things, that's totally. what we need to be doing. Totally. To do. That's the conversation in feminism that I think we need to get back. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I love it. That is, yes. You just like struck at the heart of many. Yeah. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. We could have a whole other conversation. What we're designed to do and what yes. we're to do each day. Amen. So I, I do think that what the church can do is in my experience, at least I only learned about NFP when I, um, went to get married mm -hmm. and when it was time for me to have sex with my husband, like that was what, that was the uh, conversation. So that's when it started, mm -hmm. but maybe as a church, we can begin to come up with some curriculum in our Catholic schools, especially yeah. our all girls Catholic schools yep. that they, you know, this is who you are, your totally. physiology. Um, is central to your feminine genius. It impacts mm -hmm. everything that you are mm -hmm. from your athletics to new, your nutrition, to when your brain is ready to concentrate mm -hmm. and you're most likely to um, retain information studying, like mm -hmm. all of those things can be tracked mm -hmm. your cycle. Mm -hmm. um, and you can learn about them in some really, really incredible ways. So I think that's what fertility awareness is. It's mm -hmm. this Hey, beyond the conversation about sex and when we can have babies um, or avoiding and achieving pregnancy, like let's talk about this in a way that impacts everything that we do. Totally. Everything that we are. And for me, um, I think a lot of times my, uh, my position as a Catholic woman is dismissed because it's seen as religious. Mm -hmm. And when really, I'm coming at this from a perspective, of course, of religion, religion impacts everything that I am, but there is also this, this feminist principle that's coming out to say like, no, like this is how my body works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like, I, yeah. I want that to mean something like that yeah. is very important. And to teach young girls too, that this is how your body works and it's designed yeah. in this way for some beautiful reasons. And the more you learn about it, the mm -hmm. better that you are. Yep. Uh, I shared with, um, I share a lot that fertility awareness, learning this um, with more consistency and more precision in my thirties uh, taught me how to shave about three minutes off of my running pace. Yes. I remember you so, saying that. That's incredible. Like I used to be a 12 minute miler and I can, um, I mean, I'm, significantly faster. Like I, I can run much faster than that at this point, all because Amazing. I learned to work out according to 
how my body wants to work out. Yeah. Like none of those things are ever um, really talked about because those exercise studies are done on men and men yeah. have fertility cycle. Which so is, I, I totally changed the subject from the church. No, guys. And I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. No. Oh my gosh. I, I love it because I think it's your, it's, it hits at the heart of your point, which is this is not a religious issue, although it is a religious issue, but it touches every aspect of our lives as women. And I think that's where some of the negligence has come in that we've ignored that. And I personally, like, I am not crazy about the feminist uh, approach. I don't really like that. I don't know. So I struggle sometimes with uh, like us trying to accommodate feminism. Um, I have a friend who says we don't need to be feminists because we're already Catholic. And I just think that's like, I love that. But so in terms of like the feminist piece of this, I think if there is a part of this to me that points to the modern feminist movement, um, well, let me back up. All of it does. One of the things that bothers me about the feminist movement is I do think there's this temptation to like man hate. Um, mm-hmm. And to me, when I look at the women's healthcare arena, specifically the pill and what the pill is designed to do and how it's designed to trick our bodies and basically designed to make us like, to make our bodies behave like men, I think you can make that argument that it's kind of like silencing the feminine parts of us. I look at that and I'm like, what feminist would be okay with this? Like, to me, that is exactly what feminists accuse men of doing, you know? And I, we can, I mean, we could talk about like the way that the pill was created when it was initially invented. Um, I mean, there are stories of like, the women that they tested it on, I think two or three women died. Um, and they were testing a male birth control pill at the same time. And the men, sorry to use this language, but the men experienced like shrinkage and it was like, God forbid, you know, the men cannot, we can't subject them to this. So they lowered the dosage that they put women on for the pill. They didn't even really change the chemistry of it. They lowered the dosage, they put women on the pill. And now women all over the country are using this drug that once killed, you know, two or three women. Um, So I just, my point in saying all of that is um, it really does touch every area of our lives. It's not just, it's not a religious issue. It's deeply scientific. Um, I think it also strikes just at the heart of, like you've said, who we are as women. And yeah, I'm kind of rambling, but um, it's, it's pretty incredible. I think that, why do you think that, that so many Catholic women are coming out of the woodwork now. I mean, you mentioned that there are all these women on Instagram who have eight kids and have published books. And I think that that is so funny because I think you know, my, so my sister and I are staying at my parents' house this weekend and she has her baby here. And yesterday my sister went to get her hair done and I was, you know, taking care of her one-year-old and also trying to work. And I was thinking to myself, like, how do people do this? But I'm literally getting nothing done. So like, what do you, what's happening now that all of a sudden women are coming out of the woodwork to talk about this issue. And I just feel like everyone everywhere is producing something good to educate other women about what we're seeing. Um, what is that all about? You know, what's your read on that? I think it's the new feminism. And when, when I say that I'm a feminist, what I mean is that I am feminine and I want my femininity to be something that I can share and proclaim. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of women see what 
uh, radical feminist says radical radical feminism and we're like no that's that's not right. who we are <laughs> and then yeah. i think we're sharing um authentically who we are i also think mm-hmm. there's some really practical reasons why that's mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. um and why women are balancing uh career and family with a little bit more confidence or a little bit more ease mm-hmm. you know, there's grocery delivery <laughs> there's yeah. relaxed schedules and you know there's or I maybe not afraid to say I need some help or I'm going to get some help at home. Um, I have a lot of help at home whenever I mm-hmm. am working on a project. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's practical, but I also think that there's a real spiritual timeliness to it mm-hmm. all and to the messaging. Um, we think about philosophers like Edith Stein. Um, right now, Carrie Gress, who I don't know if you saw, she was totally... Yeah. Um, silenced and censored. Um, I mean, she's brilliant and she's bringing mm-hmm. out, we see Amy Coney Barrett. I mean, what did that do to say like, yeah. you could have all of these children and be appointed for the Supreme Court? Like this is, mm-hmm. we're seeing it and we're responding to that to say, now I have the confidence to know that I can share my gifts and talents mm-hmm. in a very real way not even with the world, because I don't want to, to put pressure on women that they need to be like proclaiming all of these things to the world, but that I can share my gifts and talents in the way that God is calling me to mm-hmm. in my family first. Yeah. But then maybe that there's some space um, or some God entering into the space to say, no, I'm going to take you out a little bit and you're going to share this in a really practical way mm-hmm. with the rest of the world. Right. So I just think it's our particular moment in history. I don't think it has anything to do with, oh, we have more access to uh, birth control and abortion. And that's what's equalizing this. Mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. we're noticing our difference from men. And we're saying, this is awesome that I'm different than a man. I don't want to be the same as a man. I want to be who I am. And And we're sharing that in a lot more ways. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. So do you want to talk real quick about, um, modern fertility care and, um, just like kind of share how this came about and what, what you all are doing um, and what your hopes are for, for this foundation in Pittsburgh? Yeah. So Modern Fertility Care came out of another um, foundation called Renew the I Do. My brother-in-law is a Catholic priest in Pittsburgh and he founded Renew the I Do in response to marriage prep that frankly wasn't going so well. Mm-hmm. Um, he noticed that the church could be doing a lot more to prepare couples authentically and with more knowledge about what um, marriage actually is Mm -hmm. (laughs) and what to be prepared for. So he started um, retreats and he started date nights for married couples. Um, He just started working with a lot of married couples in the city. And what started to happen was he started to see this um, desire for medical care for um, couples, for women specifically but husbands wanted to understand what their wives were going through. Couples were struggling to get pregnant. Couples were struggling to not get pregnant. Um, that's something that um, Jenny Eubing with her off the charts works uh, very beautifully to respond to that as a little tangent. Um, Cause that's, that's a real suffering too. If you feel like yeah. you're not so, that you're so hyper fertile that you, um, you need to abstain in some way. So he's seeing all of these things and, It's like, we have to figure out which doctors to connect these couples to that are going to listen to them Mm -hmm. um, and not dismiss their concerns and not say, no, I don't know how to read your chart or whatever it might be. So we started to try to find um, 
some, not just pro-life doctors, but doctors who were trained well in fertility awareness. Mm -hmm. And what came out of that is a collaborative group of about 15 of us now from all different walks of life. We have clergy. Um, I am a layperson. Um, we have, um, Arlene Milan, who is the director of Renew the I Do. She mm -hmm. is also helping to be the director of modern fertility care. We have all of these people who are saying the same thing that we can do more to connect mm -hmm. women with doctors who will listen to them. And then if you are in search of relief from birth control and in search of a deeper understanding of your body, modern fertility care is there to serve you. Mm -hmm. And we're there to connect you with those people in our city. And we're working just in Pittsburgh and we're also working on some curriculum ideas and hopefully at the higher education level. Um, and then to percolate down to maybe middle school, um, mm -hmm. working with them, we're working with facts. We're trying to figure out all the different methods and mm -hmm. say that these things can really work together, that you don't have to have competition among methods. You can mm -hmm. choose the one that's best for you. Totally. Uh, Marquette, all, you know, NAPRO, like there's all of these different things that are available to women if they know that they're available. Mm -hmm. so trying to be that voice to connect women with the doctors yeah. and the medical um, care that they need and desire. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. So what are you, what are you hearing? Well, I just love the perspective of like, hearing from these couples who have really experienced some of the suffering that comes with the different sides of the fertility issue. Um, because I think that there are a lot of women, there's so many angles to this, right? Like there are a lot of women in my shoes who are unmarried single, but thinking about these things from the perspective of like the pro-life issue and also, um, just my own personal health. Um, but obviously there are couples on the other side of this who like you said, this wasn't a conversation before they were married and now they are married and they're kind of experiencing this on, on the other end. So has there been, what has it been like to just observe and hear some of those stories and then observe the fruits of like learning about NFP and what the options are? Um, is that, has that been productive? I mean, not that that's, a, I don't want to have, ask a leading question, but you know what I mean? It's been so productive. It's been so beautiful. And I think at the bottom of what we're all craving is this mm -hmm. sense of a desire for community mm -hmm. and to know that there are like-minded couples that are struggling with the same things as we're struggling with. Um, and then also like sharing our victories with one another and sharing mm -hmm. our joy of raising mm -hmm. families and being open to life and what that might mean from being, figuring out that your body is not inclined towards children or that your body is very inclined towards children totally. and all of the crosses that are um, inherent in any of those circumstances. I mean, there's, everybody has a cross and yeah. everybody usually has a cross that is in some way um, integrated into their fertility. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. So we have to face those things. Yep. Um, but that has really been the most beautiful thing for me to witness and observe is this sense of community and the sense of being able to share and no longer feeling like they're alone. Mm -hmm. um, that was my experience in my twenties, figuring out which doctor to go to. It was one of isolation. I, I, I'm not a medical professional. So for me to figure out my own body was not that easy when I was doing it by my, myself and I didn't have that access to my doctor. Right. So to say together, like, Hey, we can have these conversations as a, as a group of married couples, mm -hmm. um, 
and then with our, with our doctor and to, and to be doing that in a community, I think is like the biggest fruit. That's amazing. Well, Regina, this was so good. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that you like wanted to share or wanted to touch on before we, and how can people be in touch with you with modern fertility care? What's the best way for people to reach out? Our our website has um, all the links to research, links to local doctors, Mm -hmm. uh, modernfertilitycare.com. Please reach out. We, you know, we'd love to hear from you for sure. If there's anyone locally that is interested in that type of care. Um, I, my message is, I really hope that we can be hopeful about um, what powerful, I mean, everything you're doing with Femine Vero, like there's so much hope to have this conversation and to say like, this is the, this to me is the link Mm -hmm. that women have been searching for. Like we've been pitted up against each other, especially with, are you pro-life or are you pro-choice? Like what Mm -hmm. side are you on? Mm -hmm. Fertility awareness is for all of us. Mm -hmm. And it, I think can open the doors to so much common ground, so much common ground politically, and then so much common ground in the healthcare industry to really, um, kind of change the competition and change the politicalization of everything. Amen. I hope so. Thank you. So thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. I'm so grateful that you shared.